and surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got range. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. Go to mercurymile.com, enter your sizes and preferences, and you will get a curated box of running goodies sent to you. In fact, mine is on the way. Right before I started recording this intro, I got an email from Mercury Mile saying, your package is almost there, and I can't be more excited for it. Get all my spring and summer running gear. I'm pumped. And you should be too, because you can go to Ram- Rambling Runner. You can go to MercuryMile.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 to save $10 at checkout. So, you may have heard my new intro music. So, we debuted it last week. It's on this week as well, intro and outro music. So, this is by my lifelong friend, Meta P. I know him, I don't know, when he was seven is when we met. And he is just an awesome guy, one of the best hip-hop artists and rappers around. He's been touring Europe for years. He won the Best Rapper in Rhode Island Award from the Phoenix Magazine, which is a really, um, you know, it's just a, it's a magazine that was really tied in to the cultural scene here in Providence. He won that award, shoot, years and years ago. He's just really, really good. He has a new episode, new episode. He has a new um, album out that you can get on Spotify. Just look up Meta P. This song is called Righteous Path. It's the beginning of the song, Righteous Path, which he did featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu and is produced by Symphonic Bang. Go check him out, Meta P. So... This episode is with Elise DiMercurio. Elise is somebody who I met, as you'll hear in the episode, uh, last year at CIM. But shoot, man, she was one of the first people to download this podcast. And I was excited to have her on, not for those reasons, but because she has done and overcome so much in her life, uh, overcome addiction, and is now really killing it from a running perspective. She just recently set a PR after running two marathons in 13 days. Yes, that's right, 13 days. She ran Boston and Eugene, ran a half marathon in between, and started running marathons in 2017. I did not intend for that to rhyme, but here we are. Uh, I think you'll love this episode with Elise. Last thing, before we get into it, are you looking for a coach? I want to be your coach, as do the rest of the coaches at Lowell Running. That's L-O-W-E-L-L, named after the city in Massachusetts. Lowell Running is here to provide you the services to get your running to the next level. Not only does that mean running plans, but having a sympathetic ear, someone who will understand where you're coming from and push you to the new level that you most certainly can reach. Go to LowellRunning.com. That's L-O-W-E-L-L Running.com to hire a new coach today. Hello, Elise, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So first of all, there's a lot of things I want to talk about in this conversation, but I guess the first things first is um, it's been a few days since your last race, so I'm just assuming you're running another marathon tomorrow. Of course. That's just seemed to be the trend thus far. Um, No. For once, I'm actually not. It's nobody probably believes me at this point, 
especially because my last one was like a little secret. But um, no, I'm I'm actually just chilling. I've got school to focus on. So thank goodness. Oh my goodness. I, we, we had, we had spoken uh, a couple weeks ago. We're going to do a podcast after your Boston marathon experience. So I sent you a text like, Hey, do you want to record tomorrow or the next day? And you're like, Oh, fun fact, little surprise. I'm running Eugene in a couple of days. But before that, I'm also going to run a half marathon. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> said, we this can, woman yeah. is crazy. Like we can record now, but just give it a little bit of time. I'll have even more material as if I need it. But I, I'm, I'm glad that we did wait because it ended up being pretty exciting. So, Well, you're so dedicated to the podcast. You're like, you know what? No one would make my episode better if I just signed up for another marathon. <laughs> I was thinking about the art of it, really. I, I mean, I've been, I've been listening to this for a long time, so it's very honored. Um, I, I had to look back, and I think the first one I listened to was like a month after you started it. So, wow! So you were the one person listening. I that was you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was telling someone the story the other day that like the first six months of the show, I had eight thousand downloads in total over six months. Which I think you must have accounted for like roughly 10 to 20% of I, I deleted it and then re-downloaded just, you know, just to up your numbers. Wow. No, you no, know what? Fine. Pure dedication right from the start. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I actually, we, we met in person. We met uh, in December. I, I'll never forget this. But actually, I was walking out of the expo at the California International Marathon. And you were just chilling out on the stairs oh, out yeah. in the hallway. And I was like, hey, Elise, what's going on? Like, it was like, I loved being there for that race. It was like, I felt like I knew, like, every third person. And it was just one of those random experiences where, like, you just, like, bump into somebody and you, you haven't met before, but you just recognize them immediately, which happened a lot yeah. that weekend. But that was, like, one of, like, those moments that I can, like, pure, like, like I can remember, like, It's like we've known each other for clarity. years. <laughs> there you and, go. And I was with, exactly. with Alicia, who you later interviewed, so... It, uh, it's come yep. full circle. That was, Thanks. and not, we were both there. You and I were both there and neither of us were running CIM. <laughs> I'll just note that. I know. By the way. <laughs> Joke, jokes on us. Yeah. Except I had, I had to, I had to cross, I had to go cross country for it. You just had to drive a little bit. That's true. That was nice. There you go. But Hey, you've been killing it. You had quite the 13 days. So you ran Boston, came back, ran, it was at the bend half marathon. Yes. Okay, the Bend Half Marathon, then ran the Eugene full. So, um, first, first things first, when did you finalize this race plan? <laughs> um, like the night before. No, I, uh, I, so Boston had been planned well in advance. Obviously, I got this amazing opportunity that I'm sure we'll talk about that I, that I, I got to run it. And so um, that was something that was really thorough training and um, – and then afterward, I think it's really natural, especially if you didn't have a great race, which a lot of people had that experience at Boston this year, of um, just kind of feel like you have unfin unfinished business. And I did already know for sure that I was doing the bend half because I pace that one every year. Um, so I was not racing it. I was pacing it. Um, so I pace a lot of races. It's one of my favorite things to do. And so I knew I had that lined up. I kind of forgot that it was only like a, what was it? Five, five days after, because I forgot that Boston's on a Monday and then Bend Half was on a Saturday. So it wasn't even like I got a full week recovery. So I was definitely, a, a, you know, beating myself, you know, for that choice a little bit. Like, why did I decide to do this? And then I started to kind of just mess around with that idea of doing Eugene. Um, a lot of my friends that I train here uh, with 
they were all building up for that goal race. And so it was kind of in the back of my mind. Um, and so I, I wanted to see how bend went and see how my body felt and it felt pretty good. And, uh, so I presented the idea to a couple people I trust, um, the coach in particular and expected everyone to say, Oh, that that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Redemption races never work out. Um, but shockingly, almost everyone said like, no, we're on board. That sounds like a great idea. You should, you should do it. And I, I did not expect that response. So um, that's, I signed that I signed up maybe about 12 hours before. Ooh, that I is, to, that I, is... I, I drove to the expo by myself and I like signed up on the spot at the expo. So it was, uh, it was, it was definitely down to the wire. That is amazing. Um, if for no other reason, then it's one thing to have a redemption race and to come back from a uh, experience that you weren't 100 percent um, agreeable with. But it's a totally different thing to do it in the marathon, especially someone who you know it's not as if you've been running marathons for a decade now. Right? I mean, yeah. you started training for your first marathon in the beginning of 2017. Correct. Yes. So like less than two years. So less than two years. So th- this, this is wild to me. So what, what precipitated that first, um, the first foray into doing the marathon? Um, so I, you know, long, <laughs> the long version is I've been running pretty much my whole life. I, um, I started running when I was young and, uh, it was just like a hobby and, I ran a little bit in cross country and in like junior high, high school. So it was, it was always something that I did um, to varying degrees of seriousness. I was, I was never particularly good at it. Um, and when I was 18, 18, 19, I trained for my first half, um, which was the San Francisco half marathon, which ended up being my first full marathon too. Funny enough. Um, just a glutton for punishment on those San Francisco Hills, I suppose. Yeah, and, that, uh, that race looks like no fun. It's brutal, but it's beautiful. It's, it's totally worth the experience. But um, yeah, and, so you know, I, did... I always thought it looked like a trail. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, I always, always look at that race as almost like a trail marathon. that just happens to be run on roads. Yeah. Which is sounds miserable when you put it that way. Um, but it, it really is an incredible event. That's what keeps me coming back despite how much I hate my life immediately afterwards. <laughs> um, but I, so I did my first half and there was 10 years in between Cause I just, I love half marathons. I love 10 Ks, love five Ks. And it's funny that we're talking about marathons because I, something I always say is, Oh, we become so marathon centric, but here we are. Um, I mean, it's what the people want. Uh, but I, I, I was not really focused on that distance. When I heard people talk about it, it was definitely like a far fetched thing. I didn't think it was something I was going to do someday. I didn't really have a desire to, I, I thought like, you know, I, I heard these, these horror stories of people losing toenails and like, all these things that I just thought that does not sound attractive whatsoever. And so I really didn't want to. And, but I kept doing half marathons cause that was probably my favorite. And, uh, when I, it was in, yeah, December, 2016, um, I had talked to a friend of mine and, uh, we actually met in treatment. We were in an addiction treatment and she was a runner too. And, um, she was doing San Francisco, that following year. And she said, like, Elise, you should do it. You've never done a marathon before. Her name's Casey. Shout out to the one who started this madness. Um, and, and she said, you know, just do this one. And then if you hate it, you never have to do one again. But then at least everybody will, will get off your case about it. 
And so I signed up and um, started training that for that. That does not sound like the best motivating factor. <laughs> yes. Like, really, right? if you, if you do this, we'll stop bothering you, maybe. Well, because, I mean, when you do half marathons, <laughs> I think a lot of, I don't know, I would get asked that a lot. When are you going to do a full one? I, I, don't, I don't really want to. But, you know, she, it was really neat, the whole story of that we met in rehab. And I just, I, I thought it would be cool for us to do that together. And I love San Francisco. It's like my favorite city. And so, um, so yeah, I started training for that very poorly. Um, and then, you know, cut, cut ahead just to tell you that I finished San Francisco marathon, my first one, and I crossed the finish line. I did what I think, I think some people do. I said, well, I'll leave the F-bombs out. I said, I'm never effing doing that again. Um, and I did another one 13 days later. <laughs> so No way. You yeah. did it back then too? I did it. I know. I don't recommend this. This is like your magic number, 13 days. <laughs> I guess. I guess that's it. Oh, my God. That, that is wild. So what was – all right, so just compare and contrast. So what was different about that 13-day segment with the most recent one in terms uh, of like was... your decision-making tree? Okay, that was a lot different. So I had a – you know, I had by, by all purposes – I mean, by, by most standards, I had – a good first marathon, especially for, um, how difficult that course was. I was very happy with it. And, um, really I was, I was being genuine when I said I never wanted to do one again after I finished. Um, but I, I had been talking to somebody about starting to do pacing and I was very interested in that side of things. Um, just beside a break from racing. And uh, there was a the Humboldt Bay Marathon, which is a, a short, not a short drive. It's about four hours from me. It's in Eureka, California. And they needed a five-hour, 30-minute full marathon pacer. And um, I just thought, like, hey, what the heck? I'll, I'll give it a go. I'm already trained. And I know I can run five hours, 30 minutes. And so um, I just went for it. So my first pacing event was a full marathon <laughs> with about 100 people. It had, like, 100 runners total. So I spent a lot of it on my own, um, but I had the time of my life. It was such a blast. So th- they were very different as well, but because the Cisco I'd been running my butt off and, and tr- being, you know, the whole thing was very difficult. And then humble, I, I got to have just fun. I just walked half of it. I jogged half of it. I ate all the snacks that people gave me. I gave a lot of high fives and took some selfies with cows. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was more just a party. So wait. I, I have a, I have a serious question to ask. But yeah. Why in the world would you t- take selfies with cows while you were doing this? Oh, so like, I love, that is I such love a cows. random comment. <laughs> Sorry, I should have explained. This is like a the Humboldt Bay one. It, it's it, you kind of go through like a lot of farmland and stuff, and so there's all kind of animals. And I I love cows, so that was uh, that was one of the highlights. That needing that they had cheese its on the course, which if anybody knows me, I'm all about the cheese its. So that was a big perk as well. Oh man, that's great. So do you think you're, I mean, you must have a love for the marathon considering what, you know, the amount of time you've put into it over the last two years, but do you think that your affection for the marathon would be different if you didn't do Humboldt, if you had just done San Francisco and then. Oh, that's a good question. I actually don't know. I think they both just tied into different aspects of it that I love. Um, first, because it was my first major pacing experience, then I found out that I love doing that um, just as much. And so I, I, I've kind of, at this point, it's sort of both. Um, because now, even when I'm racing, I try to have as much fun as I do when I'm pacing. So um, they, they've, they've kind of come together in tandem now. And I don't know, I, it, 
it definitely um, grew my love of it for sure. I was watching, I was like kind of scrolling through Instagram. This must have been, you know, three months ago. And then watching this video of you being awarded this entry by Highlands into the Boston Marathon. It was this really emotional video. They were putting out a lot of these with with people who were kind of chosen to be on their corporate team, I guess, um, in a sense. What what exactly was that process like for you in terms of like, you know, how did it come up? You know, his, why were you chosen? And what, what was the, the, the initial connection between you and Highlands that kind of created this opportunity? Okay. Yeah, it was a huge honor. So I had actually just, you know, I started my Instagram for running in uh, around the same time I started training for my first marathon. And so I'd been building up and I'd met people and, you know, as we do become friends with people and, and somebody that I followed, Jamie Richard, who otherwise known as nurse runner, um, she had posted something saying, Hey, anybody in the healthcare field, who's a runner, you should apply for this thing. And it was through Highlands, which is this, um, they make homeopathic products. Um, probably the most popular one is, is the cramp relief. And, uh, I didn't really know anything about it, but I thought, what the heck I'll, I'm in the healthcare field. I'm a runner. I'll, I'll throw something in and, and see what happens. I thought it was like a real long shot. Um, their, their theme that year was healers. They wanted kind of anybody, anybody from any aspect of the health field who helps others. And um, the, the opportunity was that you could run the Boston Marathon with them and you didn't have to be a qualifier. And really still at the time, I just thought like I was just throwing it in there and I had no semblance. Of, I had no idea what would happen. And um I got a call, I got a contact from them saying they were taken by my story and they wanted to talk to me. And so we did a phone interview and I did another phone interview and then I interviewed with their coach. And, um, and it was kind of crazy because right around the time that um, they'd started this process of applications and um, getting to know me was when um, my area where I lived, the town directly adjacent to mine um, had this massive destroy like this this fire it's probably covered on national television it was the campfire in paradise california and um oh of course i mean i'm in i'm in rhode island heard about that yeah basically just an entire place burned to the ground and um it affected everybody in my community it was it was just an insane situation and we're still kind of you know recovering from it a lot of people i know and um so that was happening right at the same time that they were um considering me for this project and so I kept having to say like, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to talk to you later. Like I need to go there. There was, you know, people were volunteering. I was, I'm a registered EMT. So I was going to work at some of the shelters and stuff. And so that I think also just grabbed their interest. Um, and so, yeah, I found out I had a little, some friends put together a surprise and I went and found out like, at least they chose you. You're running. I think there was, I don't know how many hundreds of people apply and there was uh, 18 of us. So it was, it was, I was in total shock um, definitely did not expect that at all. And so it was this team of all um, runners from across the country, people um, that um, just work in medicine in some way or another and, and like helping others. And so it was just like the coolest thing to be a part of. I, um, I'm still kind of like having the, 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 the after effects of missing all these people so much that I've met when I was there. And, uh, and, and so what that, what came out of that was they, you know, all this publicity and these interviews and videos that we made, which at the time felt, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I'm, I'm outgoing, but I get really bashful about my own 
successes and things like that. And so the whole thing was very um, bizarre to me at first. I had trouble adjusting. But then when I saw the vision for what they had for all of us and um, see, saw like what my teammates were like and what they did, the whole thing was just um, just so neat and just so beautiful. Yeah, it was interesting. I noticed that as well in terms of like you have this kind of bashful humbleness talking about your successes. Conversely, you're like an open book with things in your life that that you wouldn't view as successes, right? So you you're, you are open book about certain things and like the things you've done really well. Again, you are like a little bit more timid about, which is so interesting. I know some people <laughs> I'm use like, the opposite. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, you know, you talked about how they're looking for healers, which is really, you know, and you talk about a great theme for something like this. I mean, that really is remarkable. So you're a medical assistant, as you mentioned, you're registered EMT. You're also um, in school too. Yeah. You're a student for a physician's assistant role. So you got a lot on your plate. Yes. <laughs> That's for sure, man. So like, I can't even imagine. So you're doing this. So you have a full-time job. You're registered EMT as well. You're, you're a student. And now you're going to be training for the Boston Marathon. And I coach people too. <laughs> and you yeah. coach people. So you have a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you mentioned before that like, you know, when you were chosen or maybe even after you were chosen, you know, during maybe one of your, you know, you have like a down period when, you know, that, that happens to all of us. You felt like this kind of inadequacy that you were chosen to be part of this like wonderful opportunity. What was that like at times? Like, measuring like this awesome achievement that you're getting achievement, but basically this awesome opportunity you were given when you had these moments of like, you must've been at least somewhat overwhelmed. With, oh my like, gosh. Yeah. Just the, I had some, the, the, the totality of what you like had bitten off. I had some pretty epic meltdowns. That's for sure. Um, yeah. So I think part of the, part of it was the timing too. I mean, I had, when I found out that I had gotten picked, um, it was right after the weekend that I'd seen you that I was at, at CIM, uh, California International Marathon in Sacramento, to those that don't know, come run it. Um, it. And I had been there spectating because I'd had an injury. I had a stress fracture and I'd been out for three months. I couldn't run. And um, the, the day of CIM was actually my first day. I got to be out of the boot. <laughs> if anybody has ever had to be in a boot for an injury knows that how fun that is. And uh, so... I had been there spectating and watching my friend Alicia qualify for Boston. And I, she's been on your show. She talked about her whole journey to get there. And I've seen a lot of her journey to get there and all the struggles and how far hard she, she fought and all the times that she almost made it and then didn't. And so I was so invested in her um, journey towards meeting that goal. And I finally got to be there, you know, along the way and at the finish line when she finally did it and qualified. And it was so emotional. Like I cried, like it, it meant a lot to me too, to see her do that after she'd been trying so hard. And there were other people like that too, who were there. Um, it's a big race that people use to try and qualify. And so here we are of like a week later, I found out I had this opportunity and, um, and, and, you know, not only that, they came to film me for an entire weekend. <laughs> so it was like, hi, guess what? You're running this thing. Um, and we're going to follow you around with a film crew for the weekend. Um, so, so that was a lot too. And so I think just the timing of, of just seeing her do that. And I, it just all hit me that I'm, I'm like, I don't deserve this. There's all these people that, um, are going to be resentful because they've been trying so hard to get to Boston. And then I just got given this ticket. Basically, I just felt very 
um, like in, they call it imposter syndrome. I definitely felt like an imposter and undeserving and um, Highlands had to keep reminding me like, no, we, we picked you to do this for a reason, um, especially as these profiles came out for my other um, healer team. And some of them are like doctors that, you know, go work abroad with children in Africa and stuff. And I'm like, how do I fit in with this group of people? And so I, I really had to grapple with that. And, um, you know, eventually I did kind of make peace with it, um, especially when we met, we got the opportunity to meet Dave McGillivray, the, the, you know, the guy that runs the Boston Marathon and he honored us being there, it, me, like a non-qualifier being there. And he thought that that was really important. And so I'm like, gosh, it, it took the, the freaking, you know, the guy who runs the Boston Marathon to tell me that it was okay. Like, we promise it's okay for you to be doing this. Um, so, so I struggled with that a bit. And then just um, the after effects of the fire. And it's hard to just explain to anybody that's not from here um, just what what the atmosphere was like for the the months that followed that, which was basically when I was starting to train, uh, you know, there was just a lot of trauma um, for everybody in my community. So I think a lot of the emotions just were feeding into each other and uh, I had a really hard time. Yeah. It was a very emotional time yeah, definitely. for a lot of people. I remember like even I think three days before CIM, I was like sending messages to people like, do you think the air quality is going to be okay? Yeah. For people who are like absolutely trying to really kill it at this race like even then it was still like up in the air it felt like yeah because i was only i'm 90 minutes away from sacramento and we were had to, we were walking around in n95 masks nobody could go outside without like a respirator or a mask so um yeah it was it was definitely questionable and the whole thing was just there was just so many emotions for all from all this loss and um just trying all of us that like myself didn't lose my home i was just trying so hard to be helpful um, to the people that had, because you just, you felt like kind of like there was nothing you could do to make things better. Right. Well, that brings up a whole different thing, but it's also related to imposter syndrome. And, and not that this is the point of the podcast by any means, but I think but it's, but that, I think it's relatable. That, I think people have this in some yeah. way or another in some part of their life, at least. Yeah. But I, like I was mentioning like the whole survivor survival guilt. Oh yeah. Thing. Definitely. Right, it's like you you didn't lose your home, but you probably knew people who did. Yeah, and you know that coupled with the other feelings that we've already discussed, you know, man, what a cocktail <laughs> yeah. of I mean, a poor choice of words, retrospect, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what a cocktail of like emotions that you obviously were running through you. Then. Yeah, it was it, all of that together and more, and the stress of training and you know not sleeping enough because you're trying to balance school and work. It was a uh, I, I'm a, I'm a very emotional person and I will, I will own that. And so, um, you know, it definitely had some major ups and downs. Right. So you were coming off three months of not running. Yes. Now, all of a sudden, if I had told you the day that Highlands contacted you to run this, so roughly December 15th or so, yeah. that you were not only going to run the Boston Marathon, but then do the Eugene <laughs> 13 days after, <laughs> you would have been like, hell no. That I don't know. I think anybody that knows me, especially my boyfriend, would probably go like, yeah, I could, I could see at least doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. All right. So then, so, you know, so we, would, we buried the lead here for a little okay. bit. So let's talk about why Highlands thought you had such a captivating story. So what about, um, and obviously I know the answer to this question, so I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm too naive here, but what about your story and your background was, you know, 
interested Highlands so much to include you with this august group of people that you'd already described? So in my application, um, I, I don't remember exactly what I wrote, but I'm sure that I spoke about that um, my, you know, they asked questions about what our passions were in the field or like how we got into the medical field, like what, what was driving us to do that and how did it relate to our running? And, um, you know, I talked about that I was inspired to go into the field of work I'm in and what I'm working towards as a PA, um, in part because of my parents, because they're amazing and they've worked in medicine their whole life. But um, in part was because I struggled with addiction and alcoholism um, years ago and uh, not, I think, I think struggled is a light word. Like I almost died. Um, And so I had so many healers help me um, through that, that um, when I got sober, I was inspired to want to do the same thing. I kind of just rerouted the whole course of my life and decided that, um, that I I wanted to work in the medical field and hopefully, you know, be there for somebody else like myself. Uh, So I know I spoke about that and they were really taken by that. uh, And, and then in addition to that kind of, that sort of overflowed into my running life as well. It's all kind of one big, um, one big theme is, is one of service is very, very important to me. So um, I'm guessing that's part of what, uh, what they were attracted to. Yeah, I can imagine. That's for sure. So when did you start using drugs and alcohol? Um, So, I mean, I think like 18, but not, not in a drastic way. Um, I was, I actually was one of those kids that, never drank or smoked pot in high school. I was like straight edge and uh, not to, not to tell my entire uh, drunk log story here basically, but I, I think it was around 22 is when um, it really took hold. I didn't really say it before, but the reason that I actually did my first half marathon when I was uh, 18, I think I, I think by the time I ran it, I was, I had turned 19. You said you remarked that that was interesting for somebody at that age to do. Um, part of that was that I had a, uh, I had struggled with really bad um, depression around that time in my life. Uh, all from basically 16 to 18, I was just in a very, very deep depression and I had to get treatment for it and all that. And um, I decided to do a half marathon in part, like as a goal to just, I don't know, I needed, I needed some, I needed something to work on at that point. And, um, you know, I was working on myself in different ways, therapy and whatnot, things that other guests of yours have spoken about, which I much appreciate. And, uh, so that was kind of an outlet. That was something that I, I, I gained a lot of weight when I was depressed and in part, I wanted to just feel healthier and I wanted to accomplish something. And so that was actually what, what inspired me to do my first half, um, was dealing with mental health problems. And, uh, so, you know, that kind of always permeated, um, but I didn't really start the, the drugs and alcohol until I was about 22. And, um, you know, it just, it just really progressed from that point. And by age 25, I was, um, I was in real bad shape. So being a kid who was straight edge through high school and then kind of taking on to this stuff a little bit later, and no, normally you kind of hear these sorts of stories. And again, I'm going to paint with a broad brush here, but you hear like, oh, you know, I first started in middle school, yeah, or sixth or seventh yeah. grade, and and you know, again, that's not everybody's story, but I it feel like that's common, the more, sure. yeah, the more common story, exactly. Um, so, do you? What do you think precipitated 
you're moving kind of quickly through, you know, kind of like a, you're just, just trying this to, you know, this advanced addictive state that end up, you know, kind of grabbing hold of you. So I, I, I mentioned that I dealt with depression, but like, I was never, <laughs> I was, I was never like, right. I said, I don't, I don't mean right in like a, in a, a right or wrong type of way, but I, I always had underlying mental health stuff. Um, you know, I had my first panic attack when I was, I want to say seven, I believe. And so I always struggled with anxiety, um, growing up and, uh, you know, that just had different outlets for me that worked for a long time. I'm part of the reason I didn't get into stuff at a young age was I just, how I, I grew up with everything you could ever really ask for. I had incredible parents who were very loving and, um, supportive and got me involved in all types of great things like, you know, academics and music and sports and, so I really just <laughs> didn't have time to get in trouble. Um, but I also just that the mental illness was always there. Um, so even before the alcohol came in or the drugs came in, that was always um, a factor. And so I just hadn't really discovered my solution yet, which eventually, as weird as it sounds, drugs and alcohol kind of became my solution for a while until it stopped working. So, I mean, even at 18, when I first tried things, I dabbled a little bit and I, I wasn't really taken by it. And, um, but you know, I think that if you let the mental health things, uh, build up long enough and go untreated, at least adequately, um, I just found my way to something that kind of worked for me. And, um, I never would have seen my life playing out that way. I don't think anybody does when they're growing up. Um, but it's, it, it's also, in my family history, um, not my immediate family, but, you know, grandparents. So, um, from a genetic standpoint, I guess it's, there's, that's a factor as well. So did, did your drug and alcohol abuse, did it kind of like kind of turn off your brain? Like what was the allure? You said it was the solution to the problem for a while until it wasn't yeah. so what exactly does that mean like what what exactly did it provide you um I think it was just a way to numb um I having these and sort of I don't know it was anxiety depression it, probably now I refer to as bipolar I know that term has somewhat of a stigma to it um so I don't I unfortunately I think a lot of people don't like to throw that around. Somehow anxiety, depression sounds a lot more <laughs> attractive than the word bipolar, but that, that's what I identify with now. Um, I just couldn't really manage what was going on in my head. And I started behaving recklessly. I was living in San Francisco at the time, which is kind of like the perfect playpen. Um, if you are kind of looking to mess up your life, <laughs> it's so I, uh, you know, I just got into a lot of bad scenes and, um, I, I think that a lot of addicts and alcoholics, um, I can't speak for everybody, uh, but, but I think it's hard to pin down like decision processes because it didn't feel that way. It seriously felt like my life was going okay. And then all of a sudden I woke up one day and I was, you know, an addict. And what was different about that day than the day before it? Um, well, I mean, that was, I was, I was being dramatic. Obviously it didn't happen overnight, <laughs> but um, that, that's kind of what it feels like. But I mean, it feels that, like that you didn't make a choice. It just kind of happens. Um, I, I just, right. 
I don't know. It's, it's a progressive illness. It, it started out pretty harmless. And then within a few years for me, um, thankfully it was, I, I headed, uh, I took a downward spiral dive pretty dang quickly, um, which at the time was terrible, but now I'm very grateful for it because, you know, I get to live the rest of my life now, um, as a healthy, well person. Uh, but at the time it really, it really did go downhill real fast, um, from just being like a pretty functional person to, Ooh, I'm just having some problems now. And then my life is still pretty much okay. Um, to like, you know, having it, having a real bad day and then the next day having like a good day. Uh, and, and then it eventually a few years in, it was to the point that I, I just could not live anymore. So what was that paradigm shifting moment when it went from, you know, something that you were just managing and just kind of living with to, okay, now, you know, the, you start to have a, either a leveling off or start an upward trajectory from a healing perspective. Um, I wish that there was, I wish I could say there was a moment, um, from which just everything got better. Uh, unfortunately I struggled for, for years. Uh, and I've, I've been open about that too. I, from the time that I first decided, um, that I wanted to try to, you know, sober up or get some treatment, um, to the point that I actually did was four years. And in those four years, um, was a lot of hospital visits, a lot of jail visits, some, um, getting locked up in a couple of mental wards. It was, uh, you know, so, so from the, I think that that's important too, for people to hear. And again, I'm not a spokesperson mm -hmm. for addicts and alcoholics everywhere. That's for sure. But I, I think it's important for people to know that from, from the point you start trying, that's not always when it works out. So if anybody has a loved one, I'm sure every, pretty much everybody at this point has someone in their life touched by this. And so, um, you know, for the, from the point that I decided like, okay, I really want to try to turn this around to the point when I really did was, was years of misery. Um, but I, but I definitely was not ready to give up. So, you know, you just mentioned, um, you know, you kind of touched on this point, you kind of like led me to it and exactly where I wanted to go is that you, you're a very supportive friend. This is one thing that comes across very clearly, not only when I met you in person, but I've seen you. But, okay, people um, have given me a, people have given me a lot of compliments. That's probably like the best compliment I could ever imagine. Is that is that's all I want to be in life. I want to be a good friend. <laughs> well, well, it's true, and and I wanted to bring it up for this reason is that you mentioned that it took you four years of you know working really hard and struggling and you know improving and then backsliding exactly. and, and just the. And just that, that constant repetitive motion until you finally, you know, you finally get it right. You finally get to a point where things are, you know, are, are sustainable for you. And during that time, what was it like for you like in terms of like your social network, your friends? Um, because that's a hard thing to manage Yeah. Um, in terms of people, you know, who want the best for you. But also, you know, it, it, it's I guess it's, it's just a tough situation all around. So what was that like for you and what advice would you give people who, you know, are, you know, have a family or friend um, who are going through this, this protracted situation and they, they want there to be a light at the end of the tunnel, but they're just not sure. Cause it's been a while. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's tricky for sure. I, uh, you know, I, I had so many amazing supportive people um, that cared about me that, at times inspired a lot of guilt um, because, you know, I, I want to be everything that they hope for. And I kept falling on my face. Um, you know, things would be going well for a minute. And then I would, 
I would end up drunk again. And just, it was just a constant up and down. And so, um, you know, for a while that was, that really, for, for someone that really does want to just love on the people that I care about and just make them proud. Um, that was really hard. Cause I, I felt like I wasn't in control. I felt like I want so badly to be the person they think I'm capable of being. And, and that the fact that I kept failing, I just felt like I was breaking everybody's hearts. And so um, sometimes that looked like just saying, okay, peace out. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you guys and um, you don't have to watch me do this. So you'd like run away or, or, or um, get angry and just try and, and, and tell everybody like, you know, I don't, you don't, I don't deserve to be cared about. I don't know why you're trying with me. So, I mean, the, the motions just, they take all different forms of, um, but really I was just sad and I really just wanted to, to be able to be who I, who I thought I should be. I, I just never felt like I was my, my true self. Um, and for anybody that has someone that's dealing with that, um, you know, thankfully there's a lot of really amazing resources out there, um, for families and, um, and loved ones of folks dealing with addiction and alcoholism. And I, um, I always recommend those on a personal level when I talk to people, uh, because I think the best thing you could do is just take care of yourself. Looking back, I was just like a Tasmanian devil to everybody that, that cared about me. And I felt guilty about it at the time, but I didn't know how to articulate that. And so what's cool today is I kind of get to, um, to, to honor that for them and um, just try to be helpful to them and, and respect the fact that they have their own lives. My, it was my, my parents were just trying to like live their life. And, um, and, and it's a, that's hard to do when you don't know if your daughter is dead or alive. So, um, you know, I, I tell people who ask me this type of thing that just, just try to create normalcy in your own life. You don't have to get sucked down the drain with them you can be loving, but have boundaries. And that's really hard to do, especially, you know, thinking about my parents, like, how do you have boundaries with this, this, your, your daughter, this person you love more than anything. Um, but it's so, so important to have those boundaries. And I do that today, even with people that I work with who are new to recovery. And you brought up something there that I think is really interesting and really important. And that you said, you said you had a hard time articulating how you felt during that time which is a remarkable statement coming from you because as anyone who's hearing this show can attest to, you're a really good speaker oh, thanks, and a, an extremely thoughtful person. So if, if it's hard for you to articulate, I can only imagine how other people who maybe aren't as gifted as you are in terms of communicative you know, communication or ability to, to speak and um, just you're really good at this. <laughs> as, as with my own words, <laughs> you're really good at talking. Um, and it's amazing. I think now about maybe people in my own life who I, maybe I criticized either internally or even verbally um, because of their own inability to, to express or to kind of like get the point across uh, during these tough moments. And I say that with shame uh, for myself okay. that, that it's, it really is. I think it plays to the point of that. Like this is a really difficult situation. And just because someone's going through it doesn't mean they, they have a full 
and comprehensive understanding of all of their motives and all of the things that are happening in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking back, once I got to a point where I was clear-headed enough to like evaluate everything and get some help in doing that, um, I definitely didn't do that alone. Uh, I started to see like, holy smokes, I was, this is what I was doing to these people I care about. And I, and I, I didn't know how to handle the guilt. And so sometimes the guilt of it actually encouraged me to numb out and continue drinking more. So it was, it was really a terrible cycle. Um, So I'm just, that's part of what drives my desire today to um, just do right by other people and the world. Yeah. Which speaks to the whole healing element. Uh, that Highlands had had you know had kind of gravitated towards, as had you. So, what at what point in your recovery, or at, you know, maybe even going back further, at that point, maybe you'd even classify as potential recovery or attempts at recovery. Yeah. Did you start viewing you know entering the healing field as a potential outlet for you? Like, was there a person that you identified with that kind of spurred you on, or what was the what was the genesis of this idea? Yeah, it's strange for me to place the time. So I. <laughs> funny enough, I actually, when I was in my addiction, um, and by that, I just mean like when I was still using drugs years ago and, um, I was not, I didn't really have like a clear trajectory for my life. And I was with a partner that was, um, it was in like an abusive relationship and, uh, we were trying to kind of, when, when you, (laughs) I don't know, probably none of your listeners have done meth before, but if, if, when you're doing meth, you kind of try to come up with like new ideas every day to like make your life better. And, and at one point I remember saying like, you should go to school and become a physician assistant. Like, look, this job outlook and like, you could, the, here's the education you have to do for it. And, and here's like the next 10 years of career growth that's projected. I was, I was very, educated meth addict and uh, i mean you were right i, was, I mean that all of that yeah, is true yeah i sorry anybody i have dark humor so that's part of that's part of my healing as well because uh, it is funny to think about me strategizing his education um, when we were you know doing lines off the sidewalk um so i i uh i thought this would be a great idea for you and i don't know i think that just stuck with me years later um because you know i growing up my parents being in the health field everybody just assumed that I was going to follow in their footsteps. And I was a little punk rock rebel. So I said, no, I'm going to do something else. And so I I guess later on, it finally hit me like, oh, no, this is actually something that they're good at. And I'm a lot like them. And I bet I would be good at it, too. And um, turns out I love science, too. So um, that's that's been a neat journey as well, is is getting to learn all these new things and find out that I'm I just I just dig all of it. Right. And so obviously it really had like this symbiotic relationship in terms of like you healing others had the same effect on you. Yeah. And being a runner and just liking health in general and liking other he- people be healthy. It, um, it really does all just conjoin in a perfect way. Now, do you feel like you have an addictive personality per se? Oh, I hate that. <laughs> no, I don't hate you for saying that. I hate like, I, that's, that's such a thing that people ask. I, I think that um, I think that I do, but I don't think that that has to be permanent. I because uh, you know for a long time I mentioned having these mental health problems from a young age. I think it it can kind of become this this playing a game of like whack a mole. Like you know you whack one thing down and then some other problem pops up. And you know when I was young it was eating disorders and then it was anxiety and 
insomnia and like you know, it's always like oh I beat this one thing and then now something else came and I just I kind of thought the whole rest of my life was going to be like that and maybe somebody who's not a runner um might see marathoning as being like well that's her thing now some people get church some people get this and and uh mm-hmm. but but I, I really don't feel that way I'm I've done a lot of work to be able to be to a point that I think that everything has place in my life today um but the only thing that give up most importance that I can't live without is just being sober because without that I wouldn't be able to do anything else so um, nothing basically in the hierarchy of Elise's life nothing comes above that even family yeah that 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 you're right that foundation has to be there yeah because without it everything else is a house of cards and plus one thing that was cool was i kind of got a nice test this last fall when unfortunately i couldn't run for months and mm. um you know i became dependent on other things that like I, I i picked up swimming and i found out that i really like swimming and there were days where i didn't get to go do a swim i kind of felt like gross and weird but um i don't know i think that's just fitness is a part of my routine um but other than that you know i'm definitely like like a, a manic person, <laughs> maybe you could say workaholic. I'm not sure. Just I'm always up to something. Um, but I, I think that's also like cool quality to be harnessed. And I think a lot of people can relate to. 100%. Yeah, I, I agree. And when I said do you have an addictive personality, the, the part that I was thinking about wasn't like the trading one addiction for another or trading one vice oh, okay. for another or the whack-a-mole idea. It was more of the idea of like you needed to be like obsessive about something yeah you know because like as if like like that there always has to be something that is like this overwhelming you know focus of your attention which i know for a lot of people is partly why you see a lot of addicts who are ultra marathoners yeah it's true i was gonna say it's very common it's anybody that runs 26 miles or more i think we all have like a little something like there's a whatever it is like you meet a lot of people in recovery actually in in the sport um i think just because everybody has a reason that they're doing something that dramatic yeah that's a good point and and, you know and i also want to like touch on your running as well (laughs) yeah no (laughs) we're talking this is great this is, this is a really important topic and I, I, and I really want to dive into it, but I think it's also important to talk about what you did just two weeks ago, because I loved the way you described it after the fact. And I think that I'm transitioning to that now because of how you're describing your addiction is like how you described, like, first of all, the Boston marathon after the fact. So it didn't go the way you'd hoped it would go. Right. You ran about 409, which the time doesn't matter, but it wasn't like it wasn't this amazing race that you will like will live, you know, like as you put after Eugene, spoiler alert, you're (laughs) waiting for how the Eugene marathon went. This effortless, peaceful endeavor that happened. Right. Boston was not like that for you. It was hard. (laughs) However, that's not but you didn't describe it in negative terms afterwards. Oh, not it was like you were so grateful for it. And it was just the way you described it was unlike I saw anyone else describing a race that they would categorize (laughs) as one that didn't meet their goals. Yeah, that's true. I know. I'm like I I pretty much blew up like in and my body almost failed me, but I it was I was I don't know. Gratitude is, uh, that sounds so cheesy. Gratitude is like such a big deal for me in my life that um, I'll always 
even if I ended up in the medical tent three times, I'm still grateful. I was, I was, used a nebulizer was, on the course at mile 20. And, and, I mean, and, my goodness. And I was like thinking that, you know, the medics and everything. I'm just like, I'm just so grateful for all of you. Thank you for helping me. <laughs> so that's a, it's a big theme in my life. That's for sure. And so when you, when you were running that race, at what point did you realize things weren't quite going the way that you wanted? Um, well, I realized I was going to be in trouble a good 24 hours, even before the race started. Um, because I'd had, so I talked about it online. I'd, I'd had the flu about a week and a half before Boston and working in a hospital around sick kids who all have the flu. I got my vaccination. Sometimes it's just not enough. Um, I kind of just knew it was inevitable. So at the time I thought like, okay, if I'm going to get the flu, this is probably the best. This is probably the ideal time to get the flu. Cause it was, I, my training was done. I was tapering and I thought, you know, it's enough time that I'll be cleared up by the time I go to Boston. And so, but I ended up with a respiratory infection, like an upper respiratory problem that just wouldn't go away. And so, um, the day before I was feeling really sick and I was, uh, I was, I was pretty scared. And so, um, I don't know. So there was a little bit of foreshadowing that I was in trouble, um, but then, you know, on the way there, I just tried to be as optimistic as possible. And they'd been telling us for anybody that ran it or followed the race, they're well aware that in the weeks preceding Boston, um, we were all getting these emails, like with weather warnings from the BAA saying like, you know, be, be prepared. It's going to be like last year, um, to be cold rain. And so like I had Amazon primed myself some some like heavy duty gloves and ponchos and stuff like to my hotel in Boston, like just getting prepped for this. What they told us was going to be this like cold storm. And so, um, yeah, it, it as as some people have spoken about, it was not it was I was in um, being a, you know, given a bib. I was in the very, very last corral of the last wave, um, which you know, I think everybody got hit with the weather in some way or another. Um, but being at the very end, um, we really, really got the humidity and, um, mile seven or eight was about when, um, the asthma kicked in and I knew I was, I was in trouble. And yet you stuck with it. (laughs) And that was a race as things were starting to go south, as you mentioned, you had medical attention three different times during the, during the race, which has never happened before. I've never, I've never had that. There was a lot of firsts, a lot of firsts yeah, in my so, first Boston. So, so what was that like for you in terms of like trying to negotiate the course in terms of all right, you want to have you want to stay positive. You have this, you know, gratitude is important to you, like you mentioned, but then you're also having serious medical difficulty. You are a medical professional. <laughs> yeah. You're well aware of I, what's happening. Yes, I was if, assessing what was going if, on realistically. If you were there, yeah, if you were there as a qualifier and not as someone who got this from Highlands and you already talked about this imposter syndrome, do you think you would have had do you think you would have toughed it out to the end? Or do you think that being part of this team provided you the extra motivation or any extra motivation to kind of stick it through. No, I, I was absolutely going to get there. I've never not finished. Like I was, I was going to get to that finish as fast as I could, but I also wanted to have fun. So I don't know. I was, <laughs> I was uh, pr- probably a lot more optimistic than you would expect. I, the, the first time I had to duck into the med tent, I, I knew I just needed, I was like, all right, my, my throat's closing up. I just need albuterol. I need an inhaler. And so I seriously, like in the course of maybe 30 seconds, ducked into the tent, 
quickly talked someone there into giving me an inhaler and then I just ran out with it. And, uh, and, and but when they do that, they, um, they scan your bib to like prescribe you whatever it is. And so, um, I was like, I pulled out my phone as I'm running, feeling great, shaking my inhaler. <laughs> I was, I was texting my boyfriend and my parents saying, Hey, just FYI, you're going to get a little alert saying that I got medical attention. Don't worry. I'm fine. <laughs> Cause I didn't want them to be to, to worry. So, um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was staying pretty chipper the whole time. Um, it wasn't until about 19 mile 19 when I, I was, I, I jumped into another medical tent thinking like, it's just going to be just like last time. I'm just going to talk them into giving me what I want and I'm going to keep on going. And they quickly said like, absolutely not. You sit down right here. We're going to take your vitals. And yeah, being in the profession myself, I'm like, all right, well, I don't think they're going to let me go anywhere. So I guess you should probably just sit down. And were you able to relax or did you still have your eye on the finish line? Oh, my eye was, I was watching the clock. I was looking at my pace band. I was definitely focused still at that point. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it was, it was probably a good thing in retrospect because I, I hadn't been so focused on the time that I hadn't been enjoying myself. Like I, I'd been enjoying mm-hmm. every minute. Like I said online, like I, I was you know, the spectators were screaming at me. I was screaming back at them. I was just having like the time of my life. So honestly, after that, I just realized like, okay, this is going to be my slowest marathon I've ever run. And that's going to be okay. I just want to finish. I just need to get to that finish line. And um, so that was, I was definitely jittery sitting in the tent there um, waiting to see if they would let me leave. Um, And I basically just talked my way into them letting me leave. Like, all right, where's the AMA? Let me sign. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, um, it was a crazy experience. So what was your recovery like after the marathon? Because obviously you're recovering not only from the pounding of a marathon, which, you know, is, is considerable, yeah. but also coming back from, from the illness that you had, which could only have been you know, exasperated from your marathon efforts. Yeah, it was pretty like, bad. What was, the, what was the next five to eight days like for you? Um, I, you know, got, got some medication and was just trying to, trying to take care of myself and catch up on sleep. And, um, after the marathon was just so cool because I mean, first of all, I never, I had never even been to Boston before, um, let alone run this marathon. So, I mean, I got to see everything. And then when I got done, they had this whole after party for us and it was just like the coolest experience of my life. And, uh, and I can't even believe you attended this stuff. Like that's like. (laughs) That right there is like astonishing to me that you even had the energy or the wherewithal to follow through on any of that. Well, I was, I was, I mean, they, they sat us down for an interview and I was like, I can't even think straight right now. Somebody get me a soda, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it, I'd never done something like that before either. Start, like finishing a marathon and then having people with cameras waiting to talk to you. <laughs> like, are you sure? Maybe you should go talk to somebody else first. I can't even do this right now. Um, but it, it was, it was just, it was just so neat. Um, especially all of the inspiring people I was there with, um, that I, I kind of couldn't resist, but, uh, yeah. So I, I, oh, and it was my anniversary. So there was a lot, there was a lot going on that day, but you know, the, the, the days after that, I kind of just, I had to go back to school. And so I did my best to, you know, rest and I didn't run, I didn't run at all until bend. And then I did the half and then I didn't run at all after that. Okay, so you sign up for Eugene. You literally drive to Eugene, not registered, 
Yeah. And you register at the expo. I was I was messaging the Eugene Marathon people on Facebook like that day saying like, do you still have spots? Can I come up? <laughs> yeah. All right. So <laughs> let's talk about expectations. Yeah. So so you're you're doing this, you're coming off the marathon, you'd run once, you'd run you'd pace a half marathon in between. <laughs> so you're driving. I just love running Eugene. that. <laughs> you love it, man. That's for sure. So you're driving up there. And th- as you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, you know, you're, you're going there with a specific goal in mind. Like the reason you're running this race is to do well, right? This is not pacing. This is not, yeah. this is not I'm going to run because I love running. This is, I have a goal in mind. Totally. And I want to achieve it. So how confident were you in running the race that you had trained for, given the circumstances surrounding this event for you? I had no idea. <laughs> I, I really was like, I, I remember telling my, so some people who were from my town were up there running it too. And I remember talking to them and saying something to the, you know, to the fact of um, this could go great or this could be a total disaster, um, but either way, it's going to be fine. I, I really had an attitude of just like, well, this, this could be embarrassingly bad. I really have no clue, um, but I was just going to give it the, my best shot. And then I at least felt like I felt like I had unfinished business. I felt like, as you said, I was not in the least way disappointed by Boston. It was just such an honor for me to even get to do it. And I, I had the time of my life. And so, like, there was no disappointment driving this. It was just, well, I trained really hard the last four months and I sat all of last fall out from running um, because of an injury and so I kind of just felt like, okay, I'm going to take this one stab at it and see how it goes. And at least then I can like, you know, I can rest happily. I could say like, even if it went badly, I gave it my best shot and I, I trained so hard. Like, let's just see what I can do. And I had, you know, coaches, people telling me like, I, I think you're capable of, you know, X or Y. And so I felt pretty good about that. I just really had no idea. I, I didn't know if my asthma was going to come back. I didn't know if like my, my leg was going to explode. Like, I don't know. Uh, but I just, I, I just wanted to go for it. Yeah. So when you were approaching the race, say the morning of, or you're, you're in the corral, you're ready to roll. You got a few minutes before the race starts. You talked about how in Boston you were just overcome with gratitude, that that was just an emotion that you were feeling, you know, pre-race and then going into it. And then certainly as the race progressed, what were, what was the, or what were some of the emotions you were feeling before this race, either because you were just feeling them or that you were intentional about them? Um, well, <laughs> uh, probably not the answer you're looking for, but that was, was uh, self-induced panic uh, at Eugene because, well, I went on my own. And so f- for Boston with Highlands being part of this team, like they, they, they took care of us. They bust us out to the start. We left really early. So we had like tons of time to hang out and like get ready and stuff before we walked to the start line. And so it was a very like, re- as, as crazy as that event is, it was a very relaxed experience because we were just, we were on a schedule and they were taking care of us, which I kind of thank God for my boyfriend. I kind of need like handler sometimes as you could call it. Uh, sometimes I need, I need assistance to like get places when I'm supposed to. And so me being there by myself, just in a motel, um, I, I, you know, it was, it was kind of a hot mess. And so I was like rushing to the start line. I'd never been to Eugene before. So I didn't even know where I was supposed to go. So I was like, it was like uh, 20 minutes to start time. And I was like, 
literally chasing a guy down across a parking lot at or at the university saying, sir, sir, is this where the start line is <laughs> this way? While I was oh like, while I was, I was holding like my, nutri- you know, my fuel with one hand and like trying to down a bagel with my other hand. I remember at one point I just had cream cheese all over myself. I don't even know how it all got there, but I just, so it was, uh, it was, it was not a graceful, a graceful morning. I, I think I got into the corral right as they were starting to like, you know, kick off the race. Um, so, you know, one of these days I'll actually get somewhere on time. Um, that's, that's a skill I have yet to master as my friends will know. Oh, fine. So you didn't have time to think about any of this stuff. No, no, but just had to start just, running. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. No wonder. All right. So I'm going to ask the same question I asked about Boston, Okay. but in, in the reverse order in Boston, I asked, when did you know things weren't going to go great? For Eugene, when did you know that this was going to be, you know, an absolutely amazing day? Um, You know, with the marathon, I feel like you never want to count your chickens too quick. Like, I I kept thinking, like, well, I feel okay so far, but we'll see. It's always, like, cautious optimism, um, especially after you just had a race like I did where I positive split, like, like nobody's business. Um, And I was sick, but still. And so it's, I was optimistic, but I fell around the 10 K mark. I'm like, all right, I feel pretty good. And then around the 10 mile mark, I'm like, this, this feels awesome. I'm not even winded and not even sweating. And, and it was perfect day. Um, anybody that ran Eugene, like, oh my gosh, it was, it was perfection. It was clear and sunny and about, you know, I think 40 degrees at the start, 45. Oh, it was, geez, it was perfect. just, and it, it was just, it was wonderful. So that was great too. And I, Unlike you know, one thing that was amazing at Boston, I had so many people supporting me and cheering me on and following me and tracking me, which was such, was so kind. I felt, I felt very just overwhelmed by how kind everybody was about that, but I didn't tell a lot of people about this one. So it was kind of neat to go like, all right, like I'm, I'm, I'm just on my own and I'm just going to, I'm just going to see how things go. And uh, the halfway point, I seriously felt like I just started running. I've never had this experience before where it was the halfway and I felt like I had, I could have, I, like I just started running a mile ago. Like I wasn't even tired at all, um, which again, like this never happened before. So I was kind of baffled and was like, is this going to start going really wrong? Like what's, what's happening? Um, but yeah, by the time I got to like 16 and then 20, sort of those, those, um, those milestones you think of along the way, I was just like, wow, I am doing this and this feels awesome. So were you able to keep a pretty even split the whole time or did you start negative splitting the back half? Um, <laughs> I thought that I was negative splitting the back half, but I guess I didn't. I, I, I actually, you know, I did technically, um, I guess I think the first half I ran like a one, oh God, it was about, I think it was 154. And then the second half was like 151. Um, but I, I felt like, oh, that's significant. yeah, but I felt like it was more dramatic, but I guess it wasn't, but I was still, I was, it was very, very steady. Well, it's dramatic in the sense that you're running a 151 on tired legs. Yeah. You know, even though I mean, you felt like you just started, I mean, obviously you didn't just start it was, been running for two hours, Yeah, but it was crazy. I never felt, I never felt tired. I almost feel like guilty talking about it because I know marathons are so hard, but I've like, you know, I've run a few of them and I know how hard they are. And so I, I, this was definitely the first time that I'd ever been at mile 20 and I'm like waiting to start feeling awful. And it never really happened. I was just having a blast and it was so pretty. And I was just jamming out to music 
and talking to people on the sidelines. Like, you know, it was, it was a much smaller race than Boston, obviously. And so every time we would go for a while without seeing spectators and I'd see a spectator, I'd say like, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, it was just, um, it really just gave me a boost the whole time. And it, there was, there was a point around mile 23, 24, it felt a little bit hard. Um, but overall, I mean, I just couldn't have asked for a better, a better race. And then you run a, uh, a 10 minute PR, yeah, which is obviously enormous. And you finish up what was, what were some of the, the key things that you learned over the last three or four months during this training cycle? Oh, this is so cliche because everybody says it and I never listened to it, but I ran like 90% of my training for this period was all easy miles, um, which I, I had never done that before in the past. I was self-trained, um, which was, it worked out great. It was imperfect. <laughs> At times I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I, I took cues from some different programs, but for the most part, I wrote my own plans in part because of my crazy work and school schedule I kind of just had to run when I could what I could and so a a lot of times I was doing more tempo and speed work and doing less running days um, which again was great my first marathon I was super happy with my time Um, but I I'd never done it like this before where it was just primarily aerobic mileage um, which at first just kind of felt like there's no way this is going to (laughs) work which I'm sure a lot of people think when they first start trying that that methodology um but i i trusted the people that were guiding me uh and and so i just did it so there was just a lot a lot of easy miles and um but i saw i got evidence that that was working um because here i'd been i'd been out for three months with a stress fracture and yet the first 10k i ran as like a little race in this training i i i came really close to my pr and then i did my i did a half kind of like as a test race and I ran 20 seconds off my PR and I, and that was with not training anywhere near those paces. Um, so that, that was something that I'm going to take to heart for a future. That's for sure. All right. So let's talk about the future because you said very early in this conversation, like almost in just at yourself, like all oh, the marathon, it's all people care about. I know. And yet, I know you have marathon goals, man, but it's not even your favorite race. I know, so so I know. how are you planning the next, you know, so it's, it's uh, well, we just started May. So the next, you know, rest of the year. Um, I have a lot of, I have a lot of events already registered for. Um, I, for now, am taking some serious downtime. Um, I'm graduating from <laughs> in a couple of weeks. So I'm focusing on that. And then, uh, and then I'm applying to, to grad schools. So that's, that's my focus at the moment. Um, I'm not going to run until I think, I think mid June, I'm just going to take some time to swim and let my body heal up and then start running again. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the San Francisco half marathon this year. I'm finally saving myself from the I did the full there two years in a row after saying I was never going to do it again and I almost signed up for it again and then thought to myself like uh, you don't need to do that at least so I'm doing the half um and then and when I'm, is that that's at end of July okay. and, but I don't know if I'm going to race it yet I'll kind of wait and see um and then I'm pacing a few races throughout the late summer um so just pacing gigs no racing and uh and then I'm running New York Marathon in November and I'm running CIM in December Whoa, ho, ho. So what's the, what's the time gap? That's like the, that's the Stephanie Bruce double that we learned. Yeah, yeah it's true. So I, I, I think my goal at this point is to run New York, like for fun. Uh, I'm not going to race 
New York. I really want to enjoy. I don't know, man. I think you in. should go as hard as you can. No, end up don't in the, tell me end that. up in the medical tent, <laughs> and then you know, if anything, we learned that you should like run yourself into the ground in the first marathon because it will ensure success in the second. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I guess so. I guess I, I got I got a program now. Well, what's funny is Alicia and I both went to New York. We were both supposed to run it last year, and I just keep mentioning her because you had her on as a guest. And uh, as you know, she didn't end up running it either um, because she had a health problem like the night before. And then I was in a boot riding my scooter around New York, so I was uh, I was not running either. So it's pretty neat that we both get to go back and run it. So I'm gonna shoot for doing that one for fun, and then I'm gonna make CIM my goal marathon um, for the rest of the year. But I'm I'm looking forward to taking a break from the marathon for a while because I I love get I love the fast stuff. I love 10Ks. I want to do some of those this fall. That'll be fun. There you go. All right, and it's Alicia Omumi. Yeah. I always, yeah. yeah, so Alicia Mumi um, had her on the show about four months ago. So anyone incredible who story, that, yeah, check that out. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll tell you what, she's she's a hard driver who yeah. um, you know really pushed herself. Uh, it's feeling like she was like you know kind of banging her head against the wall for a long time, and not because of lack of effort. And then finally oh, broke through, and it was very emotional. Definitely, um, it was an honor for me to for be there. Everyone involved. Elise, thank you so much for sharing everything you did today. I've been looking forward to this for so long. And so I really appreciate you you coming on. Right. Well, hey, have a great night and keep up the great work. Thanks, Matt. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you again, Elise, for coming on the show. Also, thank you to Mercury Mile for being the presenting sponsor here on the Rambling Runner podcast. Check them out at mercurymile.com. You keep what you love, you send back what you don't. It's super easy and you get the best stuff. What more can you ask? So go to mercurymile.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10. I've gotten a lot of feedback recently from some of my uh, most recent episodes and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. So you can either hit me up at rambling underscore runner on Instagram or you can email me at ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. I want to provide you the best pos- the best possible podcast that I can and getting your feedback can help me do that. Not only saying the things that you love about the show because I will make sure to keep them involved but you know, any suggestions you have, whether it's guest, format, or any way I can improve this show, I'm all ears. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got range.